I wonder what the first picture of Jesus that you saw was like and how it impacted you. I wonder if you were asked to draw a picture of Jesus today. Uh, what would you draw? What, what would he look like? You might have heard the funny story of the little boy in Sunday school. All the kids were drawing, and one of the Sunday school teachers came up to this little boy and said, well, what are you drawing? He says, I'm drawing God. And the Sunday school teacher was quite shocked. You can't do that. No one knows what God looks like. And very confidently, the little boy said, well, they will when I'm done. <laughs> so what would you draw if you drew a picture of Jesus? You know, there have been many pictures of Jesus throughout the centuries, and each of them present a different view of who people think Jesus is and what he's like to them. I want to go through a few of them briefly with you. First slide coming up. Thank you, David, our great media team. Let's have a look at this picture of Jesus. Uh, back in the 1850s, I don't think any of us were around then, uh, there was an Englishman named William Holman Hunt, and he painted this famous picture of Jesus. It's called The Light of the world. If you look closely at this picture, you'll see Jesus standing outside an old wooden door uh, under a stone archway. It's quite a dark scene, a little bit like Revelations 3.20, the message to the church at Laodicea. If you look closely, it's, it's quite a feminine Jesus. He's wearing a silk ball gown and a red cape. He has blonde hair with a golden crown. Some people call this the bearded lady Jesus. Uh, he looks very English, doesn't he? No, not Middle Eastern, a little bit like King Arthur, wouldn't you say? I thought so. Uh, this image had massive popularity. Did you know thousands of cards and copies were printed? And this picture from the 1850s has probably influenced the modern Western perception of Jesus more than any other artist. Uh, is, is this your picture of Jesus? Kind of the perfect gentleman? Just nicely knocking at the door. It's kind of nice, but is it accurate? Is this the real Jesus? I mean, there's serenity and gentleness and peace. The, the trouble with Jesus is, as you read the Gospels, how many know he got a little annoyed at times? Got a little ticked off? In fact, I don't think Jesus would have won the Christian Conduct Award at some Christian schools. Just a thought. It's a picture of Jesus. Is this the real Jesus? Let's go to our next slide. Uh, I call this next slide Spooky Jesus. <laughs> Some pictures of Jesus are very ethereal and transcendent. You see halos and auras swooning around. And these pictures tend to emphasize Jesus' divinity. And uh, often you'll see pictures like this on stained glass windows or magnificent cathedrals. And they, they kind of take us away from the humanity of Jesus we so often see in the Gospels. How many know Jesus wept? Jesus felt emotions of grief and anger as well as joy. Jesus became man. In fact, the theme for December is looking at the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was fully human. He feels, he understands, he's near us. And sometimes an ethereal Jesus like this kind of seems a long ways from the messiness of our daily lives. Is, is this the real Jesus? Uh, let's go to another picture of Jesus coming up now. The ordinary Galilean man Jesus. Uh, some modern Westerners see Jesus as merely a man. They kind of ignore the divinity. There's nothing divine about Jesus. He was just this Galilean. He wasn't God. Maybe he was a religious guru who taught a few good principles. But this view kind of domesticates Jesus. It makes him a little bit safe. Of course, the trouble with Jesus is he's not real safe. In fact, he declared himself to be 
the Son of God. And as C.S. Lewis said, if someone's saying he's God in human form, then he's either a liar, kind of deceiving people, or he's a lunatic, a madman, thinks he's someone he's not, or he really is Lord of all. He can't just be an ordinary man. Let's look at another picture of Jesus coming up. Here's the revolutionary Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus in the Gospels was not really like that much. In fact, people wanted him dead. Um, you know, a bearded lady Jesus, a spooky Jesus, an ordinary Jesus wouldn't really be a threat to anybody. Uh, but maybe Jesus was more of an extremist, the radical, the revolutionary Jesus. And some people throughout history, this is their view of Jesus, kind of like a, uh, a William Wallace, a Rambo, you know, coming in to upset the establishment. Is this the real Jesus? How are we doing? Are we doing okay this morning? Some of you are a little confused, yeah? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Uh, is, is this the real Jesus, you know? Is, is he kind of a revolutionary? Uh, the, getting better? <laughs> the trouble with Jesus is he was a revolutionary, but he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus' revolution was, was very different than taking up guns and arms and using force and violence. Here's another picture of Jesus. Come on, the hashtag blessed Jesus. I know you're all into Twitter, so you get that. Come on, praise Jesus. The blessing's on the way. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. A life free of problems and challenges and full of love, peace, and joy, as well as loads of wealth, health, and prosperity is there. You are divinely and supremely favored, fortunate, living under the spout where the glory comes out. That's from my dad's day, that one. Is, is this Jesus? You know, hashtag blessed. Life is good all the time. But does following Jesus guarantee a life of continual blessing and prosperity? Is, 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 this, is this the right Jesus? Um, another picture coming up. How about baby Jesus? This time of year, it's Christmas time. It's all about baby Jesus, meek and mild like a child. Come on, everyone loves a baby, don't they? Safe and cuddly and cute. You may not have seen the movie Tagadella Nights, comedian Will Farrell. He says a prayer before dinner to tiny baby Jesus, <laughs> his preference to teenage and grown-up Jesus. And could I suggest that our culture kind of likes to keep Jesus in the manger? Just keep him as a little baby. Doesn't bother anybody, doesn't mess with anybody, doesn't demand anything of anybody. Uh, Baby Jesus. So, which, which picture is the accurate one? You know, all these pictures uh, that we've looked at are views that affect our beliefs and our behavior. How does your picture of Jesus affect your life? And is it the right picture of Jesus? Uh, Tony Campolo, a well-known Christian preacher, um, is also a sociologist, and he notes that Belief in God is a universal phenomena. Uh, every culture on the earth has some belief in the divine. And cultures often have traits and values that they really look up to. And so sometimes a culture or a people group will come up with an animal that symbolizes the traits and values that they esteem highly. Uh, such animal is called a totem. Anyone heard of a totem pole? And so we'll have phrases like, he's as strong as a ox, or she's as wise as a 
owl, or he's as sly as a fox. You're into it. You're totemistic people, see? <laughs> Over time, the animal totem that represents the values and the things that the culture looks highly towards, the animal totem eventually becomes a deity, and the people begin to worship the totem. And so each culture has its own gods. Agricultural people worship the gods of the sun and rain. Ocean people worship the sea and the moon. And here's the conclusion. If people end up worshiping a deity that is nothing more than a symbolic representation of their own traits and values, what are they really worshiping? themselves. Some people have said religion is the process whereby people end up worshipping symbolic representations of themselves. It's the group worshipping itself. George Bernard Shaw once said, God created us in his own image and we decided to return the favor. So my question today is, are we worshipping and following the real Jesus or a Jesus of our own making? Is Jesus just a blank page for us to draw a picture of and make him anything we want him to be? Maybe it's time to tear up all of our man-made pictures of Jesus and see him as he really is. A daring, radical, strange, wonderful, marvelous, unsettling, disturbing, caring, yet powerful, wild God-man, as betrayed in the Gospels. That's why I love the series that baby will be doing this month as we look back at the, at the Gospels and try to see Jesus as he really is. I'm going to turn to a picture of Jesus today. Uh, in the New Testament, we have four Gospels, four different pictures and portraits of Jesus. Luke was a doctor, and uh, doctors are pretty pedantic. They like details. They like accuracy. And so Luke spent a lot of work gathering stories and making sure that his gospel was an accurate picture of Jesus. And so I want to just read just one little picture of Jesus this morning. It's familiar. But let's have a look at it again for a few moments this morning. Luke 15, verses 1 to 2. This is Luke. And he's giving us a picture of Jesus. He says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain, one translation says, mutter, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. In that culture, if you had a meal with someone, it implied approval of them. It's a very small description, but this is the real Jesus. And it's quite confronting, because if you look at this picture, you'll see that Jesus attracted irreligious people. They wanted to be around him. Tax collectors, notorious sinners, wanted to be with Jesus. There was something about him that drew them towards him. In contrast, Jesus annoyed religious people. None of us here, people in other places. He annoyed them. He ticked them off. (laughs) They actually didn't like being around him. You know, that fact alone is pretty challenging today. When you think about the church around the entire world, how many know irreligious people aren't always flocking to church? (laughs) And sometimes churches are filled with a lot of religious people. And so you've got to go, have we missed something? Are we seeing Jesus accurately? Are we reflecting Jesus accurately 
to our world. As a result of this incident, Jesus tells a story about a lost coin. How this woman lost the coin and all out search, and then she found it, and there was a party. He finished the story, and he got on a roll. He told a second story about a lost sheep and how the shepherd went searching for the sheep and found the sheep. There's a big party, and it's a celebration. Then, then he got on another. He's, he keeps going. He tells a third story, and it's about a lost son. The third story I want to just revisit for us this morning. Uh, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. Anyone heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Everyone has. However, Jesus starts the parable by saying, a man had two sons. We could say, a woman had two daughters. Maybe it should be called the parable of the two lost sons. Or maybe the parable of the loving father, who is the real hero of the story. It's a familiar story, but I think this parable gets to the heart of who Jesus is and what the message of Christmas and of the gospel is all about. So let me, in our remaining minutes, just revisit this amazing story. It's a drama in two acts, Act 1 and Act 2. Act 1 is about the younger brother, and it has a couple of scenes. In scene number 1, we have the shocking request. This younger brother wants his inheritance now. It's okay to want your inheritance, but how many know you normally wait till your parents pass away? He shockingly, disrespectfully wants the money now. That's such a dishonoring request. And yet the father's so kind and gracious, he actually divides the land and gives half of his wealth to this younger boy. This would be a shock to the listeners. The father's tearing his life about, apart, losing honor. The son's behavior is outrageous, ungrateful, selfish, wasteful. He has no concern for the well-being of his father. That's the first scene. The second scene is this young boy heads off to a far country. He gets involved in an out-of-control life, wild living, plays hard, lives hard, and squanders everything. He's down in the mud with the pigs. What a embarrassment as a Jewish young boy. Comes to his senses, devises a plan. I'm going to return to my father. I'll admit that I was wrong. I've forfeited the right to be a son. I'm going to ask just for a job. He's got his speech ready. And in humility, he's going to place his welfare in his father's hands. Comes us to the third scene in act number one. It's dramatic as the son's on his way home. The father sees the son afar off and he runs towards him. This is a cultural surprise. Estate uh, patriarchs didn't run. <laughs> Too much dignity. But this father runs, shows emotion openly, embraces, kisses this boy. This, this is a, a surprise to the listeners. Interrupts the speech and says, quick, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. The robe meaning honor. The ring meaning authority. The shoes meaning freedom and full standing. There's a feast. There's a celebration. There's a fattened calf. In that culture, meat was a rare delicacy. A calf was the most expensive meat. And the entire village is celebrating. There's dancing. There's music. What a scene. And it's a startling message that no matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've drifted, God's amazing grace, as we sang this morning, runs towards us. Think of all the things that dad could have said. Where's the money? Man, you smell like a pig. Hope you didn't get anyone pregnant. Did you learn your lesson? Now, I'm sure there's some conversations that happen later, but this first act 
is a picture of the lavish grace of God. Before the son cleans up his act and can finish his speech, unearned, undeserved, no sin is any match for God's grace. It's a great story, isn't it? Most time we preach the story, we, we stop there. But there's the second son, the older brother, and this is act two in this drama. Unaware, the older brother returns from a hard day's work. He hears music and he hears that his brother has been reinstated to the family. He's furious. He disgraces his father and he refuses to go into the house. He remains outside the house. The father ends up coming out of the house. This is demeaning. This is the lord of the manor, the host of the feast. He has to come out of the house and plead with this older brother to come in and join the party. The older brother's upset at the cost of the party, the injustice of it all. This younger brother doesn't deserve this. And then he says this, I never, ever disobeyed you. The father doesn't contradict and say, yes, yes, you did. Remember last February? I never, ever disobeyed you. And you never threw me a party. He insults the father. He's disrespectful to the father. And yet the father responds with amazing kindness and tenderness. Unexpectedly, unexpectedly, graciously appeals. He says, well, all I have is yours. I'm always with you. We could have had a party anytime. The listeners are on the edge of their seat. Will the brothers be reunited? Will the young, will the older brother come in? And then Jesus does a mic drop and walks off the stage. And we don't know. How annoying is that? It's like to be continued next week and then they cancel the series. We don't know. Did the older brother come back in? Now Jesus, the master teacher, He's using this parable to tell us about two kinds of people in the world. See, the younger brother represents a certain part of humanity. And the older brother represents a certain part of humanity. And how do we know who these two groups are? We go back to the context. The historical setting of these three parables. The tax collectors and sinners are represented by the younger brother in the story. They're the lawbreakers. They're the people that have been living wild, that have left the home of traditional morality and respectable society. They're the younger brother. And they're attracted to Jesus. They're flocking to him. There's something drawing them to Jesus. The older brother in the story is represented by the, the Pharisees. And the teachers of the law, they studied and obeyed the scripture. They worshiped and prayed. They kept all the religious rituals. And they're complaining and criticizing Jesus because of his grace shown towards the younger brother. And so these two brothers represent these two groups of people. Interestingly, the parable is not so much directed to the younger brother as to the older brother. Will you stay on the outside and refuse to come in to the party? The, the target of the story is not just wayward sinners. It's religious people who do what's right, but because of their blindness, narrowness, self-righteousness, 
They're relying on their own goodness. You know, the original readers and listeners would have been shocked by this story, probably even offended, probably even annoyed, maybe even infuriated. See, there's two ways of being lost. There's probably lots of ways of being lost. Uh, Nicole and I have been married for 33 years, so we're just a little bit ahead of you. And uh, it's not a competition. Um, But one of the things I love about a married relationship is just how sometimes opposites attract, and that can be a negative, but can also be complementary. Um, when it comes to finding our way in places, I'm really good in a very structured grid. So in, in Melbourne Central Business District, I, yeah, I know it's King William, Queen Elizabeth. I know Burke, Little Burke, Collins, Little Collins, Flinders. Like, put me in the city anywhere, and I'll find my way out. Nicole gets lost. Like, can you believe that? Like, she, she get, in fact, we're just talking about America, how they have, you know, northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest, eighth, ninth, tenth. And she was complaining about how she hates that. For me, I'm going, that's just so organized. So, so in a grid, in a structure, I always know I am. Nicole, she just can't cope with it. But what's embarrassing is if we go up into the Dandenongs where everything's curving all the time, you put me there, I'll be lost for hours. You put Nicole on any bend in the Dandenongs, she'll know exactly where she is. Yeah, Sherbrooke's just around the corner. Elinda, different and yet complementary. You know, there's two ways of being lost. There's the irreligious who have a life of destructive self-centeredness represented by the younger brother. But you know that being religious is another way of being lost where we rely on our moralism, our goodness, our rule-keeping. Both of them are dead ends. In fact, here's the subtle thing. It's one thing to be lost and know you're lost, but it's another thing to be lost and not know you're lost, which is a much more dangerous form of lostness than being lost and knowing you're lost. Did I lose you? When you're lost and you know you're lost, you're okay. But when you're lost and you don't know you're lost, that's a very dangerous form of lostness. See, these two brothers represent two ways of living. One is the way of self-discovery. This is the younger brothers and sisters in our room. Do your own thing. Rebel. Don't conform. Paint outside the lines. Come on, you know who you are. But then the opposite is the way of moral conformity. The older brothers and sisters do the right thing. Keep the rules. Stay within the line. These two approaches divide the whole world and even in the same family. Come on, there's younger brothers and older brothers, younger sisters and older sisters. It's a paradigm. And Jesus is saying both approaches are wrong. The younger brother humiliates the family through self-indulgent living, out of control, alienates the father. But the older brother is fastidiously obedient, living under control, self-disciplined. I've never disobeyed you. But the older brother has pride in his good deeds and his self-righteousness. What's amazing is the father goes out of the house to invite each of them into the feast. He invites the young brother into the feast. And he goes out and he invites the older brother into the feast. But in the end of this story, he leaves the older brother outside. It's a complete reversal about who's in and who's out. In fact, if you start, both boys are in the house. The younger brother leaves the house. He's out of the house. He's out of the father's direct care. And in the end, the younger brother's back in the house. The older brother's in. He goes out. Sounds like cricket, doesn't it? He goes out 
But in the end, he's still out and we wonder, will he come back in? See, the religious people think they're in and everyone else is out. But Jesus actually says, no, these ones who understand grace, they're in and you're out. And will you come back in? Ooh. See, the elder brother is out not because of his sins, but because of his pride in his moral record. There's a self-righteousness. See, all of us have our own self-salvation project. See, sin is not just failing to keep the rules. Religious people live moral lives, but their faith is in their own goodness, not in God himself. Sin is not just breaking the rules. It's putting yourself in place as God and Savior. Both sons were wrong. And the father reached out to both of them. The good news is that we're all wrong, but we're all loved and we're all called to come and to know the father's love. The older brother stayed home, but he was more distant and alienated from the father. His life was a joyless, fear-based compliance. He boasted of his obedience, but it was one of duty, slavish, joyless, drudgery, forced or pushed. He lived out of fear rather than out of joy or love. There was no dancing. There was no festiveness. And so the father reaches out to all of us, calling each son, each daughter, come back Jesus is not a Pharisee to the Pharisees. He calls them to come in and know the Father's love. Final thought. In these three parables, something's lost. A sheep, a coin, and a boy. And then is found in this great joy. The surprise is when there's a coin, the woman goes looking for the coin. When there's a lost sheep, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. But with the lost younger brother, no one went looking for the younger brother. Who should have been out looking for the younger brother? Genesis 4 verse 9, am I my brother's keeper? This younger brother, instead of getting an older brother, he got a Pharisee. You know who the true older brother was? Jesus. Jesus was the true older brother. Left the house, left the temple. He's out hanging out with some younger brothers, sisters. Jesus was the true younger brother. The end of the story is a party. It's a celebration. It's a feast. This story is the story of the human race, two ways to live. Worldly life of sinful pleasure, that's a dead end. But religious life of ethical strictness, of keeping the rules with no joy and no real understanding of grace and the Father's love, that, that's also a dead end too. They both fail to give the human heart what it longs for. And so for the younger brothers of us, <laughs> We need to repent and return and come home and know God's forgiveness. But for the older brothers, we need to understand grace. Yes, it's good to obey and do the right thing, but not in order to be loved, but because we already are loved, as Clint shared today. I love the song we sang earlier. God is constantly moving towards us with arms open wide. That's the message of this story. And so as we wrap this up today, which brother do you most identify with? Are you the younger brother, younger sister type? Come on. Wild and free. Did a lot of painting outside the lines. Come on, don't look so spiritual. 
in every room, there's the younger, yeah, all of us identify with one or the other. But, but maybe, maybe you're the good older brother, the good older sister. I've always obeyed you. Nothing wrong with obedience, doing the right thing. It pleases the father. But the older brother, it was, it was just a duty. There was no joy. There was no party. The father says, all I have is yours. Come on, we can throw a party anytime. Failed to recognize the father's love. And so this Christmas, all of us are invited to come home and to be part of the joy and the celebration. And finally, this Christmas, may we all be like the true older brother, like Jesus. And There's a lot of younger brothers and sisters in this world. Don't you, you meet them everywhere? Yeah, used to go to church, used to, got offended, got hurt. They're, they're, they're everywhere. Jesus was at the table with them. Let's not be back in the house with our nose lifted high. Let's, let's this Christmas, let's be the true older brother, the true older sister. Everyone said amen. Let's pray. Jesus, may we see you a little bit more clearly today. Everyone's got a picture of who they think you are, and sometimes that's just a projection of what we want you to be. We're thankful for Luke, who took the time to paint a true picture of you out with some rebels and some marginalized people that everyone kind of scoffed at. And you were there hearing this story, listening to them, loving them. And so I pray today for the younger brothers, younger sisters here today that might think, oh, if God, if God only knew what I've done, maybe think they're too far from grace, that they would turn and come home today and know that there's a father already there waiting for them. And Lord, for the older brothers, older sisters, maybe, maybe never left home, never rebelled, but maybe we've just subtly put our confidence in our goodness and our, we've, well, we've never. Lord, today, it's good to do the right thing. There's a blessing in obedience, but may we know your love and your grace. It's not about our goodness, our rightness. It's we have a Father who loves us, no matter what we do, who we are, so. Help us all to know grace. Help us all to come home and celebrate the feast this year. And I pray that as we, as we go a little later today out into a world of, full of younger and older brothers and sisters, that we would be Jesus and we would reach out with your love. We'd not only see Jesus accurately, but we would represent him well. And I pray that the church would increasingly attract <laughs> the irreligious, not just the religious, that we'd start to reflect Jesus more accurately. I know you're doing that in here at Bayview. May the church go from strength to strength. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Well, I hope you got something out of that today. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas.